And seriously, I just want to let Mark keep going. Um, he is, if not preaching my message exactly, certainly making all the applications. Um, it is wonderful to be with you all. I have very fond memories of my last time here, which I, I can't even believe was about five years ago, so time has flown. Um, it is a pleasure to be back with you. Um, as Mark described, I serve on the pastoral team at Covenant Fellowship Church, um, where I lead a separate nonprofit we established 20 years ago called Covenant Mercies, and the purpose of Covenant Mercies is to build partnerships with indigenous churches, indigenous Christians in the developing world to care for orphans. And so it is our joy to come alongside uh, dear friends like Helena and the team there in, uh, in Addis Ababa. Um, I am thrilled about the pastor's college there and the, the potential for not only it and you know, all that the Lord might do with him among the Muslim world, and there's a huge Somali uh, refugee population in Ethiopia, um, but also the, the, the numerous potential church planters who could plant churches all around that city where we're also sponsoring children. It would bring uh, like-minded churches into the neighborhoods where our children are living uh, as we're spread out in some different neighborhoods around the city uh, in our work in Covenant Mercy. So I am looking forward at the end of my message to giving you, uh, if, you're, if you're new or if you missed it last time, an introduction to our mission. And if you're familiar, a, a, uh, an update on our mission in Covenant Mercies. I am um, thrilled to be among friends. I'm, I am, uh, as Mark said, many of you are sponsoring children already, and so you're invested in this mission, and I, I trust you'll feel the pleasure of the Lord as I, as I update you on uh, what's happening these days. Uh, if you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, um, and while you're turning there, I will bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at, at Covenant Fellowship. We love you. We pray for you. Um, we thank God for the, the shared mission uh, that we're all a part of, and Mark just described it very well, the way all these things interconnect uh, as, we, uh, as we support our local mission and as we support the broader mission of Sovereign Grace Churches together. It has so many uh, impacts throughout the world and even interconnects with the work of Covenant Mercies as well. So if you're with me in Luke chapter 14, uh, I want to begin reading... In verse 12. And Jesus, just to set the scene, Jesus is at a dinner party. He's been invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee. He, being Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray that by your spirit, you would use this word to penetrate our hearts and shape us uh, further into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a kindness that seems to have strings attached, uh, a kindness that seems to be generated more out of self-interest than out of a true spirit of generosity. 
the classic example of this for me is what I used to call the squeegee guys in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've ever had this phenomenon in Denver, but like there are certain areas of the city, maybe you'd be driving to the stadiums. I'm a suburbanite, so I'm driving to the stadiums for a game or something, and if you stop at a particular traffic light, these guys are immediately upon your cars and they're starting to squeegee your windshields. Now, if you're from out of town, you might be confused at first. Say, wow, oh, city of brotherly love. It's really true. <laughs> the welcoming committee's here. They're washing our windows. This is great. But you'd learn very quickly that there are strings attached. There's an expectation here. And, and some of the guys got very good at kind of halfway putting the soapy water on and then deciding whether they would finish based on whether you're going to do something for them. Now, I don't necessarily blame these guys. Actually, there's something positive to affirm about that. They're wanting to offer you something rather than just asking you for something. My point is, from the perspective of the recipient, there are certain kinds of generosity that you can almost feel like you need to be on your guard against, because really they're nothing more than veiled attempts to obligate you to do something in return. And this reciprocity ethic, this idea that I'll scratch your back if, if you scratch mine, was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, very pervasive in Jewish society at that time as well. So as Jesus sits at the table of this Pharisee, he knows well the mindset that he's addressing. One would behave in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar generosity in return. And conversely, if someone extended a, a, a generous gesture, a kindness to you, you would feel an obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, this reciprocity ethic isn't quite so strong in our modern Western societies and our way of thinking, but it is undeniably present in our world today as well. It lies just beneath the surface in so many of our social and personal interactions. And in fact, if we're honest, we really have to admit that there's very little we do in life that isn't somehow motivated by our own self-interest, influenced by our own self-interest. Uh, and on certain levels, that's, that's perfectly okay. Think about the business context, right? In the business context, uh, mutual self-interest really defines the, the, uh, the ideal business transaction. If I am producing a product or a service that uh, I'm happy to part with in exchange for X number of dollars, and you're happy to part with X number of dollars in exchange for that product or service, that really defines the ideal business relationship. And if that sounds like an endorsement of free market economic principles, it is. Um, but that's not my point. <laughs> my point is simply to say that reciprocity in and of itself is not inherently wrong or evil. However, as Jesus so often does, he comes to us here uh, with questions that probe deeper. They probe deep into the depths of our hearts and our motivations and push us beyond these natural human tendencies. See, Jesus calls us here to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can do for us in return. And I probably don't need to tell you that this doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, in our sinful nature, we are bent uh, toward doing things that are in our own self-interest and bent against doing things that really have no personal benefit to us at all. And so, against the grain of his own ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today, against the grain of our 
human nature and our sinful nature, Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. In fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that is uniquely Christian, and by that I mean uniquely driven by our faith, not merely by our humanity, is its intentional focus on those who can do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who have no capacity to love you in return. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give toward those who can do nothing to repay you. This is Christian generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to be sure that it's a present and visible trait in the lives of his disciples. And so in the remainder of our time in in the Word here, before I bring the update on covenant mercies, I just want to observe two things about this generosity that Jesus commends to us, two observations about this generosity. Number one, it takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. This generosity takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. Now, contrary to the way that Jesus' words may sound to us at face value, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over, from being generous toward our families or those who are close to us. If, if that's what he was commanding, he'd be commanding us to violate other scriptures where we're actually called to love our family and those who are close to us uh, and be generous to them as well. Jesus is using some hyperbole here. Remember, he's at the table of a Pharisee. He knows what their practices are. He knows what our human tendencies are that we've just been reflecting on. And so he's using some strong language here to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zone, and to make a point. So what point is Jesus making? Well, he's saying that as God's people, our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. Uh, It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to take generous initiative toward those who can't repay us. And listen, I love this, precisely because they can't repay us. Um, I, I just love the way Jesus describes the reason why we shouldn't invite our friends, our family, the rich who we might want to hang out with to our little dinner party here, uh, as if it should be intuitive to us. He says, no, no, don't do that, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Wow, what a tragedy that would be, right? What a tragedy if I was to invite uh, Elon Musk and his wife over to my house and we have a nice dinner together and they return the favor and I you know, go to dinner at their presumably palatial estate and maybe Elon says, hey, let's go up on SpaceX. This, this one's on me. Um, you know, that, Jesus is not suggesting that this would be a tragedy. Um, what Jesus is saying is that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates, if your generosity as my disciples remains only within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Again, let's read verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. Uh, He doesn't say you'll be blessed even though they can't repay you, despite the fact that they can't repay you. No, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a cause-effect relationship here. Uh, The blessing for you is the direct result 
of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who cannot return the favor. As you take initiative toward those who can't repay you, fully aware that they can't repay you, God promises that he will repay you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as Christians and distinguish us from the world. See, this is a characteristic that differentiates Christian love from love that we might think of as natural or normal in the world, even apart from Christ. Earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, he, he spoke in similar terms when uh, speaking of the call to love our enemies. I think we have these verses in a slide. In Luke chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that for you, to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who good to, do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I trust you heard the similar theme there in Jesus' words. How do we demonstrate that we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Well, not merely by living in the same way that is possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus might say, well, what credit is that to you? How does that distinguish you from the world? The world neglects to show kindness toward those who can do nothing to repay it. But Jesus says, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of his son Jesus by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, where it wouldn't be normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies. I think sometimes we just get used to hearing these words roll off the tongue of Jesus and we, we forget how radical that idea is. Loving our enemies. These are the people we would naturally hate. And by intentionally ensuring that our generosity extends to those who can do nothing to repay us. Now I want to bring the scene back to the Pharisees' table for a moment here because there is a, a, a most profound accent placed on Jesus' exhortation uh, in a very simple fact. And it's a fact, I think, that went right over the heads of, of his original hearers, those who sat around the table with him. But it's one that we should make sure that we uh, register in our own hearts this morning. And that simple fact is this. The one who is sitting there with them around this table and addressing them in this way is himself God incarnate. He's sitting at this table because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, took the very nature of a servant, and came to serve those who could do nothing for him in return. Soon he will turn toward Calvary and he will give all, even submitting to death on a cross, for those who could never repay him 
for this sacrifice. Listen, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, maybe you're wrestling with the claims of Christ on your life. Maybe you're a young person who's been raised in the church and you're deciding for yourself whether you believe uh, what your parents believe. It's important for you to understand there is nothing you can do to repay God. You don't come to Jesus as a way of repaying God for the wrongs that you've done or repaying him for the kindnesses that he's shown you. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing that his death on the cross is sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins. His resurrection from the grave is sufficient to restore your relationship to God. We don't do anything to repay God for the wrongs that we've done. But for those of us who are already in a position of faith this morning, I trust you see the rich gospel truth that's bound up in what Jesus is calling us, uh, calling us to here. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and generosity and kindness. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he left behind the riches and the glory of heaven and came to earth to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. This generosity that Jesus commends to us here takes selfless, Christ-like initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay it. Second observation about this generosity is simply this. It's driven by faith. This generosity is driven by faith. Now, even as Jesus calls us to a generosity that's not self-interested... He simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward, a personal reward, that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Again, verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Amazingly, as we put off this this normal, natural human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing to repay us in this world's terms, Jesus promises that we will be repaid in eternity. And we embrace this reward by faith. Uh, we, uh, We can only access this reward by faith, by trusting that what Jesus says to us here is rock-solid truth, even though we cannot grasp it in the here and now. That what we sacrifice in this life for those who can do nothing to repay us will accrue to our benefit in eternity. And this is the great paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice to give toward those who can, who can do nothing to repay us. It It is a sacrifice, and we shouldn't pretend that it's not. It will cost us something. It will cost you the ability to use those funds for some other purpose that might benefit you more in the here and now. But when we consider that sacrifice in light of the eternal reward Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. It's better thought of as an investment. And my friends, you cannot make a more secure investment than this one. 
Now, when you think about it, we, we actually think in this way frequently in life. We, there are many things we do in life uh, for a reward we expect to receive later. I happen to be someone who loves gardening. I love this time of year as the ground's starting to thaw, and I love to get out there and get some dirt under my fingernails. In fact, tomorrow I should be planting lettuce and spinach and things like that in our, in our part of the country. We're about ready for that. Uh, love this time of year. Love being able to plant something and a few months later uh, experiencing the fruit of that. Uh, a few years ago, I got seriously into uh, perennial fruit-bearing uh, bushes and especially blueberry bushes. So I've got 11 different uh, blueberry bushes around my property and different varieties and things like that. And I just threw myself into all the research to figure out how can I really make these, these uh, blueberry bushes produce and flourish. A um, couple things you need to know about blueberries if you're planting them. They love acidic soil, and so I had to basically replace all the soil around where I was planting these bushes and you know, put some good... Uh, organic materials in there that are, are uh, acidic in nature. I had to, uh, they have very shallow root systems, so you mulch around them regularly and just, they like to keep their feet wet. And so, uh, you know, a number of things like that that I had to learn. The other thing I had to learn in the first, when I first planted these from, you know, just little dormant sticks almost, little baby plants, um, they recommend that you, uh, for the first three seasons, you pinch the blossoms off of, uh, off of the bushes. So as they start to leaf out, then come the blossoms. The blossoms, of course, are what become the berries after the bees come and do their miraculous work. And so uh, for the first three seasons, you pinch the blossoms off the plant, and basically what you're telling that plant is don't spend any energy on producing fruit. I want you to develop a strong root system, a strong base, and then these bushes can uh, produce fruit for you maybe for 75 years, like after you establish them well. And so I threw myself into that project when I first started, and I remember the first couple seasons, it wasn't too hard. They're not really, they're not that, that many blossoms, you know, you're not giving up that much. That third season, when I'm sorry, this is the last season I'm supposed to be pinching these blossoms, I was so tempted to just let them go. Because uh, I wanted to taste some of that fruit, and, and it was, you know, there was a, a little bit more of them. I could have had a couple handfuls of blueberries that year. But I went ahead and did as I was instructed, and I made that small sacrifice. I'm not going to have any blueberries this year for a reward I expected to receive later. And uh, last season, I'll just give you a little little window into the reward. Last season, we had 72 pints of blueberries, and I think we're still just scratching the surface. And uh, so we're giving them away. We probably should. We'll see. If everything collapses, you can come to our house for some blueberries. Um, but here's, here's the point. Jesus is saying to us here, do you want to be satisfied with a handful of blueberries now? Or will you believe me that if you make that small sacrifice now, uh, you will receive a reward that you cannot even fathom. Now, this is a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. And God is pleased. I believe he's even uniquely glorified in a way when we live our lives in light of that reality, when we simply take him at his word and say, yes, even though I can't see this in the here and now, I can't grasp this, Jesus, I believe that what you're saying to me is rock-solid truth. When we fix our eyes, on the, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that unseen reward, which, though unseen, is every bit as real 
as the tangible sacrifice, only far more lasting. Uh, Several years ago, I became aware of a, a couple in my home church who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. And, you know, that's a nice number, so that stood out to me. But honestly, that wasn't what wowed me about it um, so much because we have other people who are sponsoring seven children and, and even more. Um, what, by the way, I, I need to say, I don't, like, open up our database and go looking to find out how many children my friends are sponsoring. I just stumbled upon this information. Um, but what really amazed me about it was that I know this, couple, and I know that they're just living a very normal, middle-class American uh, lifestyle. They're, they're not rich by American standards uh, by any stretch. And so once I became, you know, again, I don't look for that information, but once I became aware of it, I just felt compelled I need to drop them a note in the mail and just thank them for making that kind of sacrifice for the kids in our program. So I dropped them that note. Um, later, we bumped into each other, had a private moment, and just were able to, to talk about it. And I came to learn how all of this had transpired. Um, when our program was first launched, like most of us, they started by sponsoring one or two children. Um, but then each time the husband, the breadwinner of this family, had gotten a raise, uh, the years after that, they had just added one more child each year. And so, um, you know, kind of based on the principle that the Lord provided well for us last year, With what he had given us, he's given us an increase. Let's share a little bit of that increase with another child in need. And uh, later, this couple even added a monthly gift to our general fund because we don't use the sponsorship funds to build schools and things like that, which I'm about to tell you about in a few minutes here. So this couple was just all in on our mission and giving in that way. Uh, By the way, because I was bringing this message uh, and and when I first stumbled upon that information, it was many years ago. Um, Last night I just went, because I knew I'd be sharing this illustration. (laughs) I checked in our database. They're now sponsoring 18 children um, (laughs) in our program. Um, Now, my point in in, uh, bringing up their story is not to say we should all be sponsoring 18 children or even that we should all follow that principle, let's add a new child each year, although I commend it. But uh, my point is simply to say, this is not a couple of significant means. Um, By by American standards, they're living a very normal lifestyle. And there are very real sacrifices that they're making by giving in this way. Um, Those funds could be used to enhance their own standard of living, and no one would look at them and call them self-indulgent. But this is a couple whose eyes are fixed, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Uh, They are sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them, where moth and rust will not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in light of that reality as well. And when I think of Jesus' exhortation here to be generous toward those who can do nothing to repay us, I can't help but think of the children in our orphan sponsorship program. I can't help but think of the young lady that Mark was just talking about, that beautiful young lady who's living with her mother in very spare conditions, but through someone's generous, uh, generous initiative in her life, she has an opportunity now uh, for a, a completely different kind of life. Um, if you are sponsoring children through our program, and I know that many of you are, uh, it is nearly impossible that those kids will ever have the opportunity to repay you. And that is exactly the kind of giving that Jesus is commending to us 
in this passage. It's precisely this kind of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. And that phrase, the resurrection of the just, immediately brings me into mind of Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says that we will stand before him and he will say, enter into your reward to us. And because when I was sick, yeah, you, you came to me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And we'll say, Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you thirsty? When did, when did we ever see you in prison? And he'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now that will happen. What I'm about to say here is just my imagination, but I imagine that maybe in that moment, Jesus will pull a young lady up by his side and he'll say, now I want you to meet Calcidon. Calcidon was born uh, with HIV. She had lost both of her parents to AIDS. She was on a trajectory to die of AIDS herself, but you gave when there was nothing she could there was nothing she could do for you in return. As a result of that, it brought a lady named Helena into her life, and Helena led her to faith. And, and Calcidon is here today because you gave when there was nothing she could give you in return. Or he might pull a young man up by his side and say, this is Charles. I want you to know Charles. Charles was a student at Lighthouse Christian School when you gave uh, so that Lighthouse Christian School could do a VBS during, during their uh, downtime. And, and when he went to that VBS, he gave his life to Christ as a young child. He later was able to go to college and become a teacher and influence the lives of so many others through that position. And it all started because you gave when there was nothing he could give you in return. Think of the ripple effects through eternity. I, I love to think of the children and grandchildren, the future children and grandchildren of our presently sponsored children who will one day know the love of Jesus because somebody shared it with their mother or with their grandfather when they were just small children running around without sufficient care in the community. Think of all the lives that will be touched through the lives that we're presently touching. I believe that this is part of the reward that we will receive. Part of our reward will be the joy of seeing with the eyes of eternity the full glorious impact of our acts of kindness and generosity in this life that there's no way we could ever perceive now. It takes the eyes of faith to see this in the here and now. And I couldn't be more grateful for the faith that God has given to so many uh, through 20 years now to invest generously in the work of Covenant Mercies and, and in the lives of these children. So I'm going to turn the corner now and begin to uh, update you on the ministry of Covenant Mercies. Um, as Mark mentioned, we're presently working in Uganda, Ethiopia, and Zambia. I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time telling you about uh, Liberia this morning because you're don't, don't make any stock trades based on this because it's kind of insider information. We haven't, uh, we haven't put it out there yet, but uh, next month we plan to begin a new partnership. We've been laying the groundwork for some time now and begin partnering with a church in, uh, just outside of Monrovia in Liberia in West Africa. So we're working in these three countries and soon to be four, sponsoring about 1,600 fatherless children in these communities, um, all of whom live, as, as, you know, as Mark demonstrated well, um, they live spread out in the community with their families. So they're all fatherless. So, uh, many of them still have their mothers, and so uh, 
our program uh, through local church partnerships, indigenous church partnerships, um, comes alongside these families uh, to care for the children living within the family structure. Um, sometimes it's the mother who's still alive. In other cases where, uh, both, where both parents have died, it's an aunt or an uncle or grandparents who've taken the children in. And then we come alongside those families to provide some nutritional, medical, and educational support. Um, this is an exciting time in our ministry because we have so many children. Uh, I keep forgetting the name of that young lady. Sosina? Yeah. Um, Sosina is a great example of this. We have so many children we've been investing in for years who are now graduating and beginning to take their place in society as competent young adults. Uh, and through 20 years of ministry in sub-Saharan Africa and 15-plus years of good fruit from our partnership in Zambia with uh, Wilbrod and Ziki Chanda to develop Lighthouse Christian School, uh, one of the things we've learned and, and grown in our understanding of is that effectively breaking cycles of poverty in our children's lives requires a significant and intentional investment into their education. Um, you're looking at Will Broad and Zicky. Uh, if you follow Sovereign Grace uh, communiques, you may have heard that we lost Will Broad, sadly, about a year ago. Um, Zicky, his wife, they are the founders of Lighthouse Christian School. Um, Zicky, his wife, is the director of Lighthouse Christian School and continues to serve in, the cap in that capacity, so we continue to serve with them in that way. Um, but it was really through working with them and uh, joining our vision for the sponsorship program with their vision for Lighthouse Christian School where we came to, uh, to really take hold of the idea that, wow, if we, get, if we make a more direct investment into quality Christian education in the lives of our children, that will have a much greater impact. Um, so from day one, we've, uh, we've placed a major emphasis on education, and as we budget those sponsorship funds, we've always made sure we're going to first pay the children school fees and keep them in school. Many of the children would have dropped out of school because those extended family uh, guardians would not be able to pay even very nominal school fees for them. Uh, we buy the uniforms, provide them with all the other school supplies and things like that so they can make the most of their education. Um, but the reality is, for in, in many of those cases, uh, children would be in a classroom with 100 other students. So even as we're doing all that, we're putting them into a context where the quality of the education is still quite poor, and it would be the, the, the exceptional student who would really make the most out of that circumstance. Um, now, if our goal is to see our children restored to everything God has created them to be as His image bearers, and that is the way we describe our, our mission in the life of each and every child, is to restore them to everything God's created them to be as His image bearers. If that is our goal then education is, is a critically important tool in our toolbox. And 100 students in a single classroom is a major obstacle for us to overcome. And so that's why we've uh, been developing Lighthouse Christian School with the Chandas, and that's why uh, we're going to come back to Zambia in a bit. But that's why a few years ago, in, in March 2019, uh, we broke ground on Hope Community Primary School in Kibora, this is in western Uganda, a very rural area. Uh, you're looking at uh, the, some of our team and some of the construction team on groundbreaking day. That guy on the far right there with the big smile on his face is Moses Nkwatsibwe. He's the pastor of the, uh, the church that we partner with there in Kibora. Um, 
We broke ground on this school after spending um, most of the prior year working with a team of engineers to develop a comprehensive site plan for this school. The next slide shows you that site plan that, Lord willing, we will phase this in over, over several years. And uh, by God's grace, we were able to, uh, by God's grace and through a, a veritable army of uh, donors and partners investing in this vision, uh, we were able to open this school in February 2020 uh, for, the, for about 90 students in grades pre-K through grade one. And uh, there you're looking at a, a photo of the kindergarten class on that opening day. Just super excited to be able to go to this new school. Um, now, many, some of you might have heard me just say February 2020 and said, oh no, you know, what happened? You, you probably have PTSD about February 2020. Um, schools closed a month later, uh, just like schools closed in, in many places around the world. And Uganda actually uh, was one of the longest countries, the longest country of any, any that we're working in, in terms of their, uh, the length of the school closures. Um, the school actually just reopened again in January of 2022. Uh, if I had time, I would love to tell you about the resourcefulness of our team there, both the, the school faculty and also our sponsorship team. They set up outdoor classrooms so that the children could have the continuity in their education, and the vast majority of them, they tested them, the vast majority of them were able to move on to, uh, to the next grades, even though they were not technically in the classroom for uh, two years. So um, now, we, as we reopen, we have pre-K through grade two, and uh, 134 students in those grades. Our plan is to add one new grade each year going forward so that by 2026, Lord willing, uh, we will continuously serve hundreds of students in pre-K through grade seven through Hope Community Primary School. And what you need to understand is that this is a transformational opportunity for these children. This school enables us to bring quality education with well-trained instructors and sufficient resources and equipment to a severely underserved population. Uh, what it also provides for us is a Monday through Friday Christ-centered context where we can multiply our gospel uh, efforts in the children's lives, multiplies our, our opportunities to proclaim the gospel to them, to shape their Christian character as they grow up from a young age. Uh, I've got a very brief video for you that just uh, gets you, we actually found out that you can rent a drone in western Uganda. It's a very... Uh, it's a very hilly terrain there, so the best way to see the campus is to get up above it. And this video also gives you an opportunity to meet Rosabella Sabiti, who is our head teacher at Hope Community. So let's go ahead and roll that. You're welcome to Hope Community Primary School. I'm called Sabit Rosabella, the head teacher of this school. My purpose here is uh, to direct my staff on what they are supposed to do and be in the vision of the school. Yes, 
Thank you so much for loving us, for supporting us, and supporting our children. Well, just to help you think of the future uh, of those children, I want to I tell you the story of a young man named Alex Karahanga, uh, who we featured in one of our newsletters a, a couple of years ago. Um, Alex is a young man from this very Kiborora community. Um, you're looking at a photo there of Alex circa 2008 when he was first enrolled in our sponsorship program. And his life was really in a dark place uh, at that time. He had recently lost his father due to HIV AIDS. His mother, who was also HIV positive, uh, had seen her health severely deteriorate. Um, and she was really fighting to stay alive to be able to continue caring for her children. Um, well, through the efforts of our team on the ground there, Alex's mother was able to be begin receiving uh, medical care for her HIV, and she quickly responded to the treatment. Um, yet, despite these good opportunities, these new uh, happy developments in his life, um, Alex continued to struggle in his heart during that time. He frequently skipped school. Uh, he was known for being disrespectful to his teachers. Uh, he, he had gotten to the point um, in 2012 when he was nearly expelled from his secondary school due to his serious disciplinary record. Um, but Alex's mother did not give up on him. Our, our Covenant Mercies team on the ground there did not give up on him. And the following year, the Lord broke in and opened Alex's heart to the gospel. He immediately joined a discipleship course led uh, by, our, by Moses Nkwatsibwe, who you saw earlier there, the pastor of our indigenous church partner there. And the good fruit of the gospel immediately became evident in Alex's life. Um, by the end of 2013, he had transformed into one of the most disciplined and trustworthy students in the school. In fact, he was uh, given the, the designation of head boy. If you're familiar with the uh, kind of the inheritance of the British school system, which the Ugandans have, um, you'll, or if you're familiar with a school called Hogwarts, uh, you, you, might, <laughs> you might be familiar with the head boy and head girl. These are just the positions given to the most exemplary student leaders in the school. Uh, he even went on a mission trip to our Eastern Uganda program area to share the gospel with his peers uh, in that year. So this is the way Alex now looks back on that time in his life. Um, these are Alex's own words. I've just abridged them a little bit. He said, quote, my life changed when I got saved in 2013, and I was introduced to the gospel and discipleship. Jesus humbled me, and now I value my life and the support I received from Covenant Mercies, which is by grace. My mother also receives HIV care through Covenant Mercies, and she's very healthy and strong. I'm so grateful to God for changing my life and favoring me, and to Covenant Mercies for extending the helping hand of God to me. I will never be the same again. I think you're looking at a photo of Alex uh, more recently now. 
Um, well, Alex later graduated from Technical Institute with honors and a certificate in plumbing. He then went on to get a diploma in, in uh, water engineering, and he's currently uh, on a military base. Not sure exactly whether he's, he's joined the military, so I don't know whether he is uh, utilizing that, uh, that plumbing skill or not, but uh, he has continued to uh, invest in the gifts that God has given him. Um, this is just one example of the impact you can have by sponsoring kids through Covenant Mercies. Um, as a sponsor, your generosity is providing education and health care, and maybe even more importantly, it is setting in motion the gospel outreach, the personal care and discipleship of our indigenous staff and our indigenous church partners. Um, the Lord has done amazing things in this young man's life, and it all started with one person's generous decision to give from the resources God has provided to them to see his life transformed. Well, I promised you I'd return briefly to Zambia, so let's go back to Zambia um, for a moment. When I shared the news early, just a few minutes ago, about the new school we've launched in, uh, in western Uganda, um, anyone familiar with Covenant Mercies would have probably recognized uh, the, the similarity between this new school and our partnership with them and also our partnership with Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. You're looking at the, uh, uh, this is a campus photo from a couple of years ago of uh, Lighthouse Christian School. Those are the first two classroom buildings that we built on the campus there. Uh, we began partnering with Lighthouse back in 2006, um, sponsoring just one classroom of kindergarten students and then expanding the school with one new grade each year, just like we intend to do at Hope Community, um, to the point where today we're sponsoring over 300 children uh, each and every year to receive their education through Lighthouse. And we've also worked with our partners there to buy land and to build uh, the campus as the school has grown. We've needed to create more space for the growing student population. Um, just this past January, I had the blessing of being in Zambia for the official opening of our newest school building there on the campus. Uh, you're looking at a picture of our Lean and Mean Covenant Mercies team uh, in front of the Lighthouse crew. There's also a bigger team that includes the school faculty, um, but the, this is the team that administers the sponsorship program. That's Zik Ziki Chanda there in the middle, and they're standing in front of that new, uh, that new building on the campus of Lighthouse. Um, this is a spacious building that includes a spacious assembly hall, a library, which I'm so excited about. Um, uh, we homeschooled all three of our girls, and they just, I mean, they were at the library every week, and a love of reading and learning through books uh, was a big part of their education. Uh, there is no lending library in all of Ndola, Zambia, for children. Um, there's like a theological library. There's a couple places where adults might be able to access resources, but there's no lending library for children. So the, our children now will have the opportunity to learn better reading skills and also learn through reading uh, through this library that we've opened on the campus. It also has computer and science labs, a fully equipped kitchen where we'll serve lunch, which is part of our sponsorship of the children there as well, and additional classroom and administrative space as well. It's really an imp impressive structure, and I think we've got a, this is from the water tower where you can see that assembly hall in the center and then the classroom space and lab 
space and the library space on the sides of that assembly hall. Well, it's an imp impressive structure, but ultimately, I wouldn't want you to get the impression that we're all about like building campuses and impressive-looking buildings. Um, our mission is to develop these young lives, and it is about equipping these young people, these children, to cultivate the gifts that God has given them for His glory and to bring good into their lives uh, through their own gifts and the work of their own hands. And just as I turn toward a conclusion, I want to tell you about a young man named Michael Incata, who's a graduate of uh, Lighthouse Christian School. You're looking at a photo of, Micah, uh, of Michael when he was uh, first enrolled in our program. He was in grade two at that time, and he began attending Lighthouse Christian School. Um, Michael had lost both of his parents, and he was living with an aunt who had taken him in, just walking distance from Lighthouse. Well, fast-forwarding his story, he excelled in school. He was immediately a standout student, and they had their eye on him the whole time. Ultimately, he graduated from grade 12, took the college entry exams, and got a 75% scholarship through uh, the Zambian government. Um, we were able to top up the final 25% through the Mapalo Scholarship Fund that we established a few, a few years ago. Mapalo means blessing. And... Um, so this fund exists to give the blessing of higher education to those sponsorship program graduates who uh, have the opportunity to continue on in higher ed. Uh, just to be clear about that, our sponsorship program takes the kids all the way through grade 12 or the vocational school equivalent, and then beyond that, we look to the Mapala Fund for those who can, who can continue on. Um, and Michael is studying now as a pre-med student at the University of Zambia. He, de he described his desire to become a doctor and his desire to serve the underserved as a doctor in the following way on his scholarship application. Michael wrote, quote, Being an orphan and being raised in a community of people with low social status has made me want to study hard and be one person who came from such a background and still made it in life and be able to give hope to people where hope has died. And I remember when I was reading that uh, application, it just occurred to me that, wow, Michael wants to give hope to people uh, where hope has died. Um, this all started in Michael's life because someone made the generous decision to give hope to him where hope might have died. And all of this, all of this was inspired by the love of Jesus who came to this earth to give hope to us where hope would certainly have died. Now, there are many ways we can express this generosity that we've been talking about this morning, and, and Mark even referenced some of the other ways that you're doing that as a church. I certainly wouldn't want to come in here and suggest to you that, hey, Covenant Mercies is the way to apply this word. I pray, and I prayed already this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be active in our hearts and, and inspire you in many different ways of applying this word, but I do want to give you a few specific ways that you could consider joining hands with Covenant Mercies uh, in seeing our Heavenly Father transform the lives of children for both time and eternity. Um, your sponsorship of children mobilizes partners uh, like Moses and Kwatsibwe, like the Chandas, like Helena and her team uh, into our children's lives and sets them in motion on behalf of that sponsored child. 
Um, your investment into the schools we're developing provides our children with quality education on a Monday through Friday Christ-centered context where we can maximize our influence in their lives for the gospel. Um, years down the road, we trust that all of this investment into their early education will make many more of them uh, eligible for Mapalo scholarships. So we're working to build that fund now with that future in mind. And in the end, we trust that these young people will graduate from our programs and take their place in society as influencers. Mark was talking about the, the, the continent of Africa and the world influence that this continent will have in the future. We are praying that our children will be influencers in their communities, in their families, in their churches, and the ripple effects that we kind of dreamed out loud about earlier uh, will take shape, and we will see them only in eternity. Well, I hope you'll stop by the table. If, if you're interested at all in learning more about Covenant Mercies, we have uh, profiles of children. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to come to that in just a minute. We have profiles of, of children... Um, who are awaiting sponsors, if you want to consider sponsoring children, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, answer any questions that you may have. I'll be over there by the table. Um, I wanted to thank you for, you can go ahead and return to that RunFar slide. Um, thank you for the way you have jumped in on RunFar. You guys have raised uh, around $3,000 the last a couple of years through your participation in RunFAR, all of these things. So we, we try to be creative about different ways to raise funds because we're committed to those sponsorship funds being a direct investment into the life of the child. So we don't use any of those funds to build school buildings and invest in these, these other projects. We raise funds in other ways for those projects uh, and, and maintain that one-to-one -one correlation between the sponsors giving and the child. Um, RunFAR is just one of the many ways that we do that. So thank you for the way you've jumped in on that. You've actually inspired other churches. We try to do this as a competition. Uh, ben Kreps and the church in Harrisburg also uh, started their own event last year, so they're, they're following in your footsteps, and all of this is accruing to the benefit of the children we serve. Um, we also sell T-shirts, and uh, these guys have been kind enough not to overturn my tables for bringing in uh, T-shirts and um, these, these beautiful uh, Do Justice, Love Mercy t-shirts uh, in extra small through extra large. So you can feel free to uh, take a look at those if you'd like. And we also have the True Africa photo book because uh, I had a free piece of check luggage. I brought uh, a few of those with me. They're a little pricier, um, probably more than you've paid for a book unless you're pr presently a college student. Um, uh, but... It's, it's just a beautiful, these uh, photos are taken by my dear friend David Sachs, and, uh, who's a, who was, he, uh, he sadly went to be with the Lord, but was a, just a wonderful professional photographer and got this book published several years ago. Um, so I'd happy to talk to you about the program or, or uh, provide you with some of those resources if you'd like. There's also information on the table where you can just grab that and take it home with you if you'd like. Um, but listen, regardless of whether you decide to join hands with Covenant Mercies in any specific way today, may we all grow in being generous disciples who take selfless Christ-like initiative toward those who can not do nothing to repay us, knowing knowing with the rock-solid confidence of faith that God himself will reward us at the resurrection of the just. Amen.